It's now time for your Election Crimes Bulletin with Greg Pallast. And this is Dennis Bernstein here with Greg. Okay, today's uh, protagonist on the bulletin is uh, Georgia's first black female Fulton <laughs> County District Attorney, Fanny Willis, who has been making some national headlines for her professional and dogged pursuit of justice surrounding the 2020 election shenanigans of former President Donald Trump. Willis convened a grand jury in May to aid an investigation she launched in February 2021 as to whether the former president engaged in criminal behavior while trying to overturn the 2020 election results. Now Willis is pressing ahead with a, yep, RICO investigation and a very active special grand jury that has already named Rudy Giuliani as a target of her expanding RICO investigation. All right, Greg, there is a lot going yes. on here. You've been talking about this uh, this particular prosecution as being sort of the leading edge, and I think you're right. Yes, and in fact, uh, this this week we have some special enjoyable news, which is that, of course, uh, Brian Kemp was subpoenaed by uh, Fannie Willis, the district attorney, to appear before the grand jury. We didn't know that because even though he's saying, the Republican governor of Georgia is saying, this is political. Actually, Dennis, it was not public. He was a witness. He's not a defendant. But he's trying to wiggle out every human any inhuman way possible, slithering out. There's a certain reptilian aspect to the governor. But he is now fighting like hell not to have to testify to the grand jury. Now, of course, as you know, if you've been listening to the election crimes bulletin, the election criminal that we've been following for a very long time is uh, Brian Kemp. And he's running for re-election now against Stacey Abrams who's also running for re-election. That is, she beat him last time, but as she says, I won, but I wasn't inaugurated because of vote suppression. But, okay, so he's, he's, in a, he's in a race against Stacey Abrams for governor. He's fighting for his life. Uh, same race as uh, Reverend Warnock running against Herschel Walker. So he, why is he afraid to go before the grand jury? Well, let me count the ways, Mr. Bernstein. Uh, he has said, number one, that uh, he shouldn't have to testify because he's in the middle of a campaign. That's a very new defense. Now, you know, I used to work on racketeering cases, including in Georgia with Justice Department and, and others. And I've never heard a witness say, I can't testify on a crime because I'm running for office. If that becomes the new legal standard, we're going to have an awful lot more crooks running for office. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't want to ask me about that, that the 7-Eleven I knocked off? Sorry, I'm running for county <laughs> for county supervisor. See, see me um, next year. I'll, 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 see, I'll talk to <laughs> him. Yeah, and the other, he has a couple of others. Uh, sovereign immunity, which is the right of kings not to have to answer questions from a commoner. It is used in U.S. law when you have a, a specific government action. He also has executive privileges if being CEO of Georgia somehow lets you off the hook if you're a witness to a crime. Remember, he is the judges in the in federal judges and state judges have said he is a witness to a crime, a potential crime that is manipulation of the election by President Trump who called him. All they want to do is get his information. And they even bent over backwards. As Fannie Willis, even though she's a real tough cookie, I was actually shocked that she agreed to, number one, let the guy testify to a grand jury by video. This is extraordinary. So, you know, he can't, what's he going to say? He can't find two hours in his 
busy campaign schedule? That's one. And second, she is, was going to let him have his attorney sit next to him. I would never allow that, frankly, because the attorney can pass the notes and, uh, and uh, you know, basically coach you while you're in front of a grand jury. No one gets a, a lawyer at a grand jury. This is not a criminal trial. He's a witness. He's not, he's not on trial. But I think he thinks he is, or, Dennis, he will be. He might be. Because I can tell <laughs> yeah. you, doing racketeering cases... He is very close to having the line change from witness to defendant. And there's another category I'll mention, which is that he is, he got a call from Donald Trump. Basically, uh, Trump said, I want you to, dis, you know, decertify the election in Georgia. Don't count the votes. Basically, have no electors for Georgia. Or I'd be very interested to know if Trump said, well, then my other plan with Rudy Giuliani is to have an alternative set of electors. Now, that might sound technical, but that's a felony crime. Because what he was saying is, we're putting together a slate of people who never ran for office. Remember, when you're an elector, when, when someone runs for president, you're not voting for Trump or Biden, you're voting for their electors. Well, a lot of the Trump electors didn't want to take a chance on breaking rocks on a chain gang, so they said, don't submit our names to Congress. That's a crime. We didn't win. So they just made up names i'm not you know they're not fake names they're just fake electors that is a crime that's a conspiracy and it involves mail fraud because they uh they wired the uh the fake electors to the national archives this is a problem now if kemp knew about this scheme and the chances are pretty solid that he did he, he might not end up as a defendant but in a racketeering case you have a conspiracy you have to have a conspiracy charge and you often have people like Kemp who are know about a conspiracy, kind of facilitated it or let it go without informing law enforcement. That would make him an unindicted co-conspirator. You're running for governor and the campaign slogan, I've been named but not indicted, in a racketeering case, that's not a hell of a campaign slogan. So the other question I have is we do know that the President of the United States did something really extraordinary. He called a Secretary of State a second-line official to try to muscle the Secretary of State into decertifying the vote, changing the vote, or as he put it in such uh, unsubtle language, fine me 12,000 votes, um, which means disqualifying 12,000 votes. And I should say Secretary of State's not just a great guy. He did actually disqualify tens of thousands of votes, but the, the final 12,000 is a difference between playing fast and loose with the rules, between vote suppression, which is creepy and awful, and an actual in-your-face felony crime. And I think that uh, he wasn't willing to do that for Trump. Okay. The question right. is, who Let's, told, who told yeah. them to, to call, who told Trump to call the Secretary of State? If that was the governor, hey. he's in hot water. Now, that's, that's where everybody knows the name Raffensperger now. It's uh, pronounced different ways in different places. But clearly, he was the guy that Trump called, everybody knows, this is common knowledge now, uh, mm -hmm. that, that he was the guy that Trump called to make the change. Now, mm -hmm. the question is, how did Trump get to uh, Raffensperger? And Again, what did the governor know and when did he know it about what's going on? Was there any backroom dealing, do we know, between Raffensperger and the governor? They worked pretty closely together. They were, well, I say, and even physically close, because when I, uh, I got a federal judge to require Raffensperger, 
Perger is his name, to sit down with me and Latasha Brown of Black Voters Matter and find out why he was purging 198,000 people without good evidence. And he was hiding from me. But you have to understand, his office is literally across the hallway from the governor. I mean, literally, if you stand at, at Raffens Perger's office door, he's looking at the governor's office. They are in constant communication. He works for the governor. Uh, you know, he's the hitman for the, the vote suppression hitman for the governor. So the question is, did Kemp say, I don't have, uh, we know that he, because he said publicly that he apparently let out that he told Trump, I don't have authority to decertify the vote. Did he then say, you got to call the guy who's across the hall from me. He has the authority. He, he might be able and to help he, you out. And, and, you know, if he said that I don't have the authority, which we know he said, but then he said this other guy does, and then he called them, he's now part of this conspiracy. He's basically directing Trump how to commit the crime, even if he doesn't want to do right. it. That's real serious business. So that's why this guy is pooping bricks and demanding a lawyer and demanding all this stuff for a uh, for a grand jury when he's just a witness all he has to do is say the president called me i said no can do and hung up so what's the problem unless that's not what happened because it's one thing to tell the press a line of jive it's another thing under oath to jive a grand jury that's how you end up in a striped suit right and again fanny willis could teach a master class in Rico, she knows what she's doing, and I think that's also why Lindsey Graham is now on the run. He was willing to make a call back in the day to stand up for Trump, uh, but he's now on the run doing everything he can to avoid a sit down with uh, Miss Willis, right? Well, it, well, okay, Lindsey Graham, Senator Graham of Carolina, as we identify, he called the Secretary of State as well to muscle him into changing the vote, decertifying the vote. And that's why he's been called before a grand jury, to see to what extent he was part of this game or knew about it. Again, he's been called as a witness, not as a defendant, but he's been kicking and screaming because obviously if he starts answering questions about these calls, then he's, it doesn't take much to imagine that certain words in those calls are going to get him uh, listed as a defendant or, again, another unindicted co-conspirator. But the thing with, with Graham he uh, and the, the national press has got this quite wrong. They said that a federal court let him off the hook, that he doesn't have to appear before the grand jury because he's a sitting senator. Not true. Uh, the courts merely said that the district court judge is going to have to determine what questions are appropriate and what are inappropriate for a sitting senator because you can't ask a senator under the U.S. Constitution, it's called the speech and debate clause. You can't ask them about anything that they said in Congress. The idea is that you can't be putting on trial senators or congressmen for a position that they take in the U.S. Congress, because we don't want that. That was uh, a response, by the way, for History Bus to George uh, Crom, excuse me, for Oliver Cromwell um, arresting members of parliament who didn't vote the way he wanted. So we don't like to have senators or congressmen put in the dock question about their positions. But this is not about a position. This is about a crime. And what did he know about it? So the, the courts just said, we just want to make sure that the judge lays down limits on Fannie Willis's questioning, that it cannot drift into his political positions or his vote, for example, not uh, on certifying the election. By the way, I think Graham, interestingly, in the end, 
was one of the few Republicans who voted to certify the election, interestingly. But then he, he actually tried to get it decertified. So uh, it'll be very interesting. Um, again, he's trying to avoid indictment. He's not trying to just uh, clear his schedule or like camp. He just has to he has to do a campaign appearance so he can't talk about a, a, a crime involving the president of the United States. Really? But there are other dangers well, here. Yes. Too. And we want to get to those. Again, you're listening to the Election Crimes Bulletin on Flashpoints. We're speaking with Greg Palast. He is our always our guest of honor and a part of this uh, program we've been doing for some time. Um, now, part of the problem here is that given the new laws, the governor has uh, been given some power that he didn't have in the past that's going to prove trouble in the future, right? Uh, well, we hope it doesn't with. prove trouble, but the potential is frightening. Okay, so Trump calls Governor Kemp and says, basically, fix the election for me. Kemp says, I don't have the authority. Maybe he did say, maybe he didn't say, call this other guy down the hall, the Secretary of State. But right after uh, the election and when the Republicans lost both Senate seats and the presidential line, they passed this law and Kemp signed, created this law, SB 202. Probably the most brutal Jim Crow piece of legislation I've seen um, since the 65 Voting Rights Act. We thought we'd ended this stuff. But among the other horrible things that, that this thing does to get in the way of voters, it takes away the power from the Secretary of State to certify election and gives it to, guess whom? Brian Kemp, the governor. He's created a brand new state election boards, which he will direct and be in control of. So if Trump calls him again, let's say Trump runs and calls again and says, mm, it's round two, and now I want you to decertify this vote. This time, he will, Kemp will have that authority. And it's uh, a very frightening business for another reason, to enforce that authority. The state elections boards can't simply say, well, five million Georgians voted. We don't care. We're not certifying this election. He needs local election boards, several local election boards, well, or just one, Atlanta Fulton, to say, uh, our vote is too messed up, there's too many questions about our vote, so we're not certifying our county vote. To decertify the state, you have to decertify at least one big county. Now, how is Kemp going to pull that off? The answer is that the law also gives him the right, the governor of Georgia, the right to remove any local county elections official. And he did it immediately. The, the, the ink was barely dry in SB 202 when Brian Kemp removed Helen Butler, who's on the election board of Morgan County. Now, Helen Butler, um, and if you see my film uh, Vigilante, George's Vote Suppression Hitman, you'll meet Helen Butler. She's known as Mrs. Vote. She made the mistake of joining Greg Palast, me, in a lawsuit against Brian Kemp as Secretary of State and then his successor, and we won a, a case in federal court against Kemp and Raffensperger to require them to open their files on the purging of voters. And so his, his first act was, as soon as he had the power, he removed her from the county board. Uh, now, our lawyer, Gerald Griggs, is now the president of the Georgia NAACP. He's a great trial lawyer. And I said, is this retribution? He said, <laughs> what do you think, Palast? Of course it's retribution. But Helen Butler says it's more serious. She says, of course, they came after her first because she vocally went after Kemp. But she says they've now taken out 10 local board members, uh, Brian Kemp. And 
She says that's because they want to take out anyone who's vocal. If they're going to decertify the election in 2024, they need compliant local elections officials. And by the way, Kemp will now be in charge of certifying his own election race in November under SB 202. So Brian Kemp was criticized even by the Wall Street Journal for holding on to the job of Secretary of State, which counts the vote and determines who gets the vote and how the votes are counted and which votes count, uh, that he held on to that job while he was running for governor because traditionally a Secretary of State will resign if running for higher state office. Kemp wouldn't. He maintained control of vote. He eliminated half a million voters from the voter rolls before his race with Stacey Abrams, and we determined a third of a million were illegally removed. And uh, now, once again, he's put himself in charge of counting his own votes. And people have to understand, this is really important, because you have all these rules about which votes count. And in Georgia, for example, if you, if you have a mail-in ballot and you write Dennis R. Bernstein in your signature, but you didn't have the middle initial when you registered, that's called an exact match fail in Georgia, and your vote will be thrown in the garbage. And there is so much... There's more art than science, and um, it's amazing how many black voters' ballots get disqualified. And that's what Trump was going for, because he knows Trump understands enough of the, of the story to know that the Secretary of State could have rooted around and tried to find 12,000 more votes to disqualify. But I happen to know, and I was there, when tens of thousands of votes were disqualified, and some great activists and attorneys got thousands of them requalified, which shocked them because no one, you know, because you get notified your ballot didn't count, but you have to go down to your county office. It's a big deal. People did it. And that's how Biden took Georgia. And so they, this is this fight. You can't have, there's a good reason why we don't have people sit as judges in their own court cases. And they shouldn't be counting their own ballots if they're politicians on the ballot. It's pretty simple. But once again, Kemp has violated this most basic rule, which is not in law because it's just followed, you know, it's like, you know, even if we didn't have laws against going through a red light, would you just keep going through red lights? I don't think so. This is an ethical red light that Brian Kemp doesn't mind racing through because it may be the only way for him to keep his own job and certainly pleasure the next Republican presidential candidate. Well, you know, Greg, there's a lot of people going through a lot of red lights in a lot of different states we you've been on this and we've been on this together mm -hmm. for a while but we've been watching this expanding movement to uh, you know the electronic jim crow as you call it, to to decertify black people and brown people and students and essentially anybody who might not vote right-wing republican and this is happening i know this isn't a political thing for you it's about the right to vote but what's happening in georgia is not happening in a, as an isolated example is it this is the no, trend I'm, I'm, this is what's going I'm on very, i'm very concerned as you know yes i am i am staunchly nonpartisan as both head of the palace investigative fund the foundation but as a journalist it's not my job to tell people who to vote for. I just try to expose any impediments to the actual vote. I mean, you do see, after all, we've discussed endlessly the problems of California and the difficulty of voting and, and the attack on the Hispanic vote in, in the 2020 primary because uh, Hispanics were overwhelmingly for T.O. Bernie. So you do see where you have complete Democratic control some, some games, too. So this is not a partisan issue. This is uh, a rights issue. 
And the but the Republicans, I have to say, are very strategic. They spend a lot of time and money and energy seizing those vote counting jobs at the county level, the secretaries of state, the boards of elections. So you'll have Democratic states with secretary of states who are Republican. You'll have local county boards, again, under Republican control because they're focused to that election issue. And I'd like to say they're focused on the election issue because they would like honest elections. But that's not what I've seen on the ground. And one of the big problems, like, for example, coming up on the horizon, and not just in Georgia, Georgia's joined a new purge program. When you were talking about ex the exclusion of black, Hispanic, and now they're going a lot after Asian-American voters. Because Asian-Americans, by the way, used to vote in the majority, Republican, especially Muslim-Americans. And that has radically changed to about 75 percent Asian-Americans uh, voting Democratic, almost uh, as much as uh, African-Americans. And so they're going after these groups. And the, one of the newest national tricks is called ERIC, Electronic Registration Information Center Purge List. And Georgia has just joined it. That's never a good sign. Florida has just joined it. Not another good sign. Pennsylvania, which again, you may have Democrats in key positions, but the Republicans control the, the elections process. Um, Alaska, Texas have joined this new purge program. If you think Texas, Georgia, and Florida are um, joining this program because they're trying to protect voting rights, uh, uh, that's more than unlikely. And we've actually gone through this. When, when Wisconsin joined this purge system and they identified 135,000 voters who they said had moved, our experts said very few of these people have, have moved from their voting counties. They're all legal voters. Overwhelming. I mean, almost everyone, I actually, believe it or not, worked at the Washington Post on this. Uh, almost everyone removed in Milwaukee was in a black neighborhood. And almost everyone removed in Madison was a student who, you know, like they, they would move there from one dorm room to another. And they'd say, no, you, you're not a legal voter anymore. Well, you, you can move your dorm room and you don't lose your vote. You can move down the street in your neighborhood. Renters do move a lot. You don't lose your vote in America. And they just, you know, if uh, or again, like we had the situation in Georgia where I've talked about a lot of military people have been identified as leaving Georgia when they were simply assigned to another military base, as uh, which we've seen. And that was a big one in Georgia. They go after black soldiers. I mean, these are the people, you know, who salute the flag and then take away votes from soldiers. This is what's going on. And so it's not, it's getting worse. And we don't, and, and you know, I know, <laughs> I'll anticipate your next question. I don't know what the justice, I haven't seen the Justice Department act on, on this at all. That's why it's really yeah, uh, heartening right. to see a, a, a DA at the, uh, at the local level take on the issue. Go on, get me started, Greg. Get me started about what the Justi Justice Department hasn't done, and they're going to go down that national security hole forever. Again, you're listening to the Election Crimes Bulletin on Flashpoints. We're with Greg Palace. Greg, we just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, you're working on a new film. Yes. You've been talking a lot about this True the Vote. I know I, I have a feeling they're going to play some role in your film. Yes. Could you remind us what you're doing in the film and also what the hell is True the Vote? Okay, two things. Uh, the, the film is called Vigilante Georgia's Vote Suppression Hitman. We should have made it plural because there's plenty of vigilantes. But the, the hitman is uh, Brian Kemp, the governor. 
But they have, again, this is centering on all these tricks that are used in Georgia and elsewhere, but we concentrate on Georgia because that's kind of election ground zero and also where the GOP takes its, um, it's kind of a laboratory for the racial vote suppression trickery and where they are most concerned because Georgia's the first majority-minority state in the Deep South. And the only way they can hold on is just not let people vote. So we have, for example, we have uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, military's future warfare specialist who was denied his right to vote in Georgia because a vigilante, they have a vigilante voter law in Georgia, which allows you, any, any voter, to challenge an unlimited number of voters. And, and this guy was challenged among 4,000 people. Another person, as you know, uh, another GOP operative challenged 32,000 people. The list came from this group, True the Vote, in Texas. True the Vote has been for 10 years attacking voters of color through all this, these various uh, tricks, vigilante voter challenges, you name it. And they're the ones behind that film, 2,000 Mules, the, the, the new birth of a nation. In Birth of a Nation 100 years ago, D.W. Griffith you know, showed that black people were stealing vote. How he had a, a white actor in blackface stuff a second ballot into a ballot box that's a hundred years ago that film was made. It was a Ku Klux Klan propaganda film, and apparently Governor Kemp took his cue from this Ku Klux Klan propaganda film and resurrected the vigilante voter challenge, except the, what he's done is he's kicked it into cyberspace. That is, these vigilantes aren't filling out pieces of paper challenging a voter, which is an old Jim Crow trick. has been on the Georgia books forever that one person can challenge another voter. The new law allows you to challenge an unlimited number of voters, so much so it's so out of control that one of these vigilantes who got this list from her list from True the Vote simply mailed in a thumb drive and said, uh, remove, you know, don't count the votes of anyone on this thumb drive, tens of thousands. She called none. She met none. She knew none. She just took this list from True the Vote. Now, I would like to see Fannie Willis get on that, too. Because, you know, that's how they steal the votes without having to decertify the vote. And I, I should be careful by using the word steal. The next thing you know, you'll be pulled off the air by YouTube. But, um, but that's what it is. I mean, we use that polite term, vote suppression. That's the NPR term. But when your car gets stolen, Dennis, you don't say, my car has been suppressed. <laughs> it's been taken that's from you. That's true. That's true. Well, that is the voice of Greg Palace. This has been the Election Crimes Bulletin. You can check out what Greg is up to. Find out more about his film at gregpalace.com. We're here every Thursday with Greg doing the Election Crimes Bulletin. We're happy to have him help us uh, fight for the vote. Greg, uh, stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Catch the trailer at gregpalace.com. Thanks a lot, Dennis. Bye.